Let's pray again. Father, as we turn now to Your Holy Word, Father, we pray that You will open our eyes and our hearts to it. Father, it's so easy for us to read a passage, to accept its truth, but to then put it aside. Father, I pray that this not be a time like that. Help us, Father, to not only hear the Word of God, to take it in, but Father, to hear and to do what Your Word has to say. Lord, help me not to speak in error this morning, but help me to be faithful to the text. Father, I pray that You will do a work among us this morning. Father, as You do it for us, I pray that You'll do it for the Yazid of Sudan. Father, almost 400,000 people who need to hear Your Word and hear the good news of Jesus like we have. Father, I pray that You'll raise up missionaries to go to the Yazid who will tell them the good news of Jesus that all of their effort is for nothing. They can never achieve salvation. They can never make it to heaven by what they're doing. They need to repent and to believe in Your Son. Father, I pray that You will send forth men and women who will love the Yazid with the truth of Your Word that You'll raise up churches among them and brothers who will shepherd Your people and strengthen them. And they too will then send out, Father, so that everywhere in this world, all four corners of it, will hear and know the good news of Jesus and You'll be worshipped. Father, we look forward to the one day of being with brothers and sisters of the Yazid who are surrounding Your throat with us and we worship You forever with other brothers and sisters. Father, we pray for Pillar Church D.C. this morning as they gather. Lord, be with Pastor Cliff and Pastor Thomas as they bring forth Your Word this morning. May they preach mightily and faithfully to Your people. Father, may Your people be strengthened. May they know who You are and may their hearts burst with love for You. Lord, we pray for Chris and Megan Guthrie as we have all month. We pray that You'll be with them and You'll guide them in their great work of translating the Bible. We pray for their co-workers and those around them who are part of Whitcliffe Bible Translators. Lord, we pray that You will help them to complete their work. That the people there, the local people, will hear the words in their mother tongue, Father, and they will know in their hearts Not some rote mechanical process of salvation, but they will truly experience Your grace and know Your words. Father, we thank You for this time. Be with us and guide us. And then use us for Your great name. Amen. You and I live in a day that moves really, really fast. All day long, it seems like all of us are in full throttle in a lane that has us going non-stop. We all have fast-paced lives with little time to slow down. Everything is quick when you think about it. Everything today, we have fast food, overnight deliveries, immediate connections through FaceTime, social media, and texting, and internet that is worldwide, has fueled lifestyles that give swift answers and keeps us hurried and mobile. 
You know, in some ways, these things I've mentioned, they're good. In some ways, all of this is good. More can be done. We can be productive. There's lots that can be accomplished than before. The church even utilizes the things we have in this day. We can reach more people now through the internet and through other means in today's time. Travel is quicker and less time-consuming. We are able to go to more places. A couple years ago, I was on a whirlwind worldwide, literally around the world in two weeks with Training Leaders International, going to our brothers who are learning to preach God's Word and such. That wasn't possible one day before. Today we have things like that. There are good things about today. But we do need to ask, what is all of this for? What is being in this fast lane of life really doing to us? Is it good for us? Is it good to be in the go all the time? Too often our non-stop pace doesn't allow us to build anchors in life. We turn to things like the internet for quick answers, which it fits our fast lifestyles. But normally the result, and most of the time, the result is a shallow and superficial understanding of things. Our lives are full today. We are so incredibly busy, but they're full of activity that doesn't touch or impact eternity when we think about it. We need anchors in our life that will hold us forever. Some authors have described it not as anchors, but as margins in our life. You think of a piece of paper that has the the left and right margins. You don't go all the way and write off the paper. You've got margins there to keep you centered. We need anchors. We need margins in our life. 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us this as Christians. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, or they are temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Eternity has a greater significance for your life than you could ever hope to accomplish this week. You and I need to develop an eternal perspective that goes beyond the here and the now. What gives us a better grasp on eternity is what God says in His Word. This is what makes the Bible so incredibly important to us. It reshapes our focus and it reorients us with eternity on the mind. The internet can't give us what we need to live out what God has for us. A fast-paced, internet-driven life without the Bible, without the Bible holding us to God's truth is unhealthy for those of us who are preparing for eternity. We all need to slow down, and especially when it comes to Scripture, and spend time reading carefully 
to gain a deeper understanding. You see, the danger of not doing this as followers of Christ is being part of what I'll call bumper sticker Christianity, where you get your inspiration from hashtag statements. The gospel becomes these rote mechanical steps to salvation to memorize and you tell people. You become essentially biblically illiterate and you begin to read into passages things that aren't there. And ultimately, you miss what God is saying. And then, Scripture says, you're tossed to and fro by the waves of life. Eternity becomes less important to you. This shallow, non-eternal perspective hurts how you approach life and apply teachings that are supposed to lift your eyes above the here and now and what seems so immediate. It's important to get out of the fast lane every now and then and grab your Bible, not move for a little while, and simply read. Read and take in God's eternal truth. You're there taking in the words of God, seeing that your life here is really like grass, he describes it. It withers. The immediate is not as important as the eternal, what God says. Today will fade away. But God is keeping you for eternity. Seeing His Word stands forever and your life in eternity matters. Another danger in our hurried lifestyles is when we do read Scripture, we come across something that's familiar to all of us, thinking we've already have a handle on it, so we just kind of brush it aside, not wanting to waste time. Our day can be more productive doing something else. We've got to stay active. We've got to stay moving, we think. Most of us, if not all of us, have heard the story of Jonah before. It's very familiar to us. We've all heard different things about what Jonah did, about this great fish that came to save him in the water. Jonah's then spit out on dry land. He goes and he does what God says. We've heard it before. I already know it, so let's move on. There's a saying that says, familiarity breeds contempt. Familiarity breeds contempt. We already know all there is to know about Jonah, so why look at it again? We're so familiar with it that we think that there's nothing else in it for us. What is it that we can get out of a book that we already know? Why look at a story that we are so familiar with, we know so well? What's the value? Well, the truth of it is is that there's always something new you can get out of Scripture. You can always gain something new from looking at Scripture, even stories like Jonah that we know so well. Our challenge is not to simply brush over it. In our busy days, to pause, to open our Bible, and look for more. And that's what we're going to do in the book of Jonah beginning this morning. To gain insight, we need to look at it with a humility that knows that there's always more we can learn. 
To do that, we have to then go back and understand the background and the history of the book we're reading. It's important to read and to know Scripture, and it's important to understand then the setting that the book is in. You would have already noted that the book of Jonah is part of the minor prophets towards the end of the Old Testament. Because of the supernatural acts that God does in Jonah, some have thought that it's a fictional story with good moral lessons. What we need to begin with this morning and understand is that it's not a fictitious book, but it is a a historical book. Nothing in the book of Jonah says that it is to be read as an allegory or a parable. It It is history. It did really happen. It's a book that God has given us so that we will learn that He is truly a forgiving God. He's full of mercy and compassion. There really was this man named Jonah who was called of God, who did not listen, who was then swallowed by a great fish, something a whale, and then God then used through learning and teaching Jonah to then go to the city of Nineveh and they repented. That really did happen almost 3,000 years ago. Jesus testifies to the historical account of the book of Jonah. This is in Luke 11, beginning in verse 29. The crowds were increasing and Jesus began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so the Son of Man be to this generation. The men of of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The repentance from Jonah's preaching was real. The people of Nineveh heard God and they repented. And God saved them. He, Jonah, was a messenger of God telling the people of Nineveh to repent. And now in Luke, a greater messenger had come calling all of us to repent. The book of Jonah was written 800 years before Christ came and it was pointing to Christ's call ultimately for all of us to repent and to believe. The message of the Bible remains the same. Repent and believe Repent and believe. Turn away from evil and trust in the only one who can save, and that's Jesus Christ. Most children's stories, most children's version of the story of Jonah will not tell it that way. They don't tell you that. St. Augustine once said, the New Testament is in the Old Testament concealed And the Old Testament is in the New Testament revealed. And what's he saying? Every time you open up the Old Testament, it's there pointing to the New Testament. The New Testament is in there, it's just hidden. There's types and shadows, there's hints of the New Testament in the Old. 
And then when you look at the New Testament, it explains what was going on back in the Old Testament and tells you that really what was going on in the Old Testament is really pointing to Christ, and Christ is really the hero of the entire Bible. The Jesus Storybook Bible does a great, great job of showing how Jesus is the hero of every Old Testament story. It's written by Sally Lloyd-Jones. You can find it on Amazon. It's a great book to read to little kids showing that Jesus is the main character of every passage of the Bible, including Jonah. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.15, From childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The sacred writings at the time was the Old Testament. The New Testament was not completed yet. So what Paul was referring to was what we know as the Old Testament. And we read, it says we read these sacred writings, we read both the Old and now the New Testament to know that salvation is in Jesus. All of Scripture has this purpose. Why go through a book that's so familiar to us? Why take the time to get out of the fast lane and look at a story? Paul tells us, to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The whole Bible is given so that we will trust Christ and we will live in obedience to God. So while we have this prophet named Jonah, we're going to be going through it over the next month and a half or two months here. The only person who's named is Jonah. We know the theme is the mercy and compassion of a forgiving God. We need to keep going. We need to keep looking further beyond the time of Jonah, beyond the whale, and we need to see Jesus on the cross. There we see mercy and compassion of our forgiving God displayed perfectly in in its finality once and for all. It's displayed in our Savior. Now 800 years before Christ in Jonah's day, the Assyrians were the dominant power in the world. And Nineveh was one of their greatest cities. It was one of the greatest cities, not only in Assyria, but of the ancient world. The city was about 600 miles northeast of Israel in what today is the city of Mosul in northern Iraq. Now at this time in Jonah's day, Israel was split up into two kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom of Israel and you had the southern kingdom of Judah. The northern kingdom had all kinds of issues. There was constant idolatry and rebellion towards God. And Assyria was an aggressive enemy and was a constant threat to the survival of Israel. Now if you go back before that and remember that the twelve tribes of Israel were set apart as one nation to be God's people who are distinct and to live together and brighten the world with who God is. They were to be like lanterns who were displaying the light of God all around them. 
They were demonstrating who God is and who they are as His people. And God called them His treasured possession. Now at this time of God's progressive revelation back in the Old Testament, He set apart the land of Israel and said that would be His place to dwell on the earth. The people were to live according to His ways, but Israel didn't listen to them. They were disobedient and they lost their way and God judged them and He used foreign powers like Assyria to discipline them. But even in that time, we see that there's mercy. Now there were certainly bad kings in Israel, but there were some good kings in Israel. There was always this this hope that they held on to for God to restore them one day. And not just to Israel, God had already extended His grace to Gentiles. Prophets had already declared that there would be mercy given to those who are outside of Israel. But mercy is never given at the expense of justice. God's people were to be distinguished in many ways from the surrounding nations. They were to live for God's name. They were to be holy. They were to be set apart. The nations were to look at Israel and know and fear God. Regardless of what the other nations did, Israel was to live in purity. They were to have holy lives and they were to be different. Because they didn't listen, Israel was split in two. Knowing the general time of Jonah's ministry, we know that the Assyrian, um, the, the Assyrian Empire had weakened a little bit. They were still the most powerful nation at that time, but they had weakened and they had governors who ruled local regions of the country. It was kind of like a loose coalition of states. This may explain why, if you look at Jonah 3.6, it mentions the king of Nineveh, not the king of Assyria. Even with this weakening, though, Assyria was a threatening nation. They were a very powerful country. And the king of Israel had to even pay homage to the king of Assyria. He had to make a payment so that Assyria would not invade and take them over. Now the king of Israel at this time was Jeroboam II. He's one of the wicked kings that ruled Israel. He's mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14. If you'll turn there with me please. It's page 321 in the church Bible. 2 Kings chapter 14 looking at verses 23 to 27. And as I read here you're going to see that Jonah's ministry is also mentioned. Again, showing us that he was a real man, a real prophet of God. 2 Kings 14, beginning in verse 23. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the sea of the Arabah, 
according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet, who was from Gath-Hefer. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven. So he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. We read here that God is merciful to Israel, even though they have sinned. The king of Israel did evil what was he did evil in the sight of the Lord, yet God is compassionate toward them. God is merciful toward his people. And we're going to see that he extends that mercy even to those who are not his people. God will use his servant Jonah who also needs to learn that God is a merciful and compassionate God to extend His mercy to those who are not His people. Jonah's commanded to go and tell them. Just like us who are His disciples, we are told to go and tell. See, we come to the book of Jonah as a people who are really like Jonah when we're commanded of God, when we're faced with God's calling and His command. He tells us, go and tell. What will we do? Will we do what He says? Or will we turn and go in the other direction? But you see, the focus of the book of Jonah is not on Jonah and what he does. And it's not just a lesson for us and how we are to be We'll miss it if we spend all our time there looking at that. As we look at Jonah, we're going to learn more about God and ourselves, but more importantly, more about God and His mercy and His compassion towards people. This book should cause us to wrestle with who God is and see how compassionate and forgiving He is. And we'll see His relationship with Jonah how he both treats Jonah and how he uses him to extend his mercy to others. And this should cause us to look at ourselves and our relationship with God as well. Now in verses 1 through 3, we have the commissioning of Jonah. It says there in verse 1, The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. He was a servant of God. God had called him for a specific purpose. Go and warn the people of Nineveh. He's not called a prophet. Jonah's not called a prophet in the book, but we just read in 2 Kings that he was called a prophet. He's described that way. And Jesus calls him one in Matthew 12, 39. Jonah was known as a prophet in his day through whom God spoke. This is what a prophet of God does. Now before the Bible was completed, Hebrews tells us that God spoke in many ways by His prophets, at many times by the prophets. Prophets tell people what God says. They are His mouthpiece. He represents God to the people. God would give them a message, and their job was to be obedient and speak 
on his behalf. A prophet has a special purpose in their life. And they have a blessing of communing with God. Prophets had the special purpose and they had the blessing of communing with God. God tells them and they can relate back with God and have this relationship with God. And then they share with others who He is. They receive His Word and they obey His command. It was a special calling in the Old Testament. And what we need to see is that it's the same calling for all of God's disciples today, all of God's servants. God's people exist to make known who God is all over the world. Now we don't know a lot about the man Jonah. All it tells us is that he is the son of Amittai. The same description as we read in 2 Kings but there's nothing more about him. Jonah, a prophet, son of Amittai. Some think this is done because Jonah is meant to represent all of Israel. Jonah was a man, but he was also a a picture for all of Israel and their relationship with God. And he was supposed to go to Nineveh, who's also a picture of all the Gentiles, all the evil that's out there beyond God's people. One man representing God's people, one city representing all those who weren't His people. We know in those times, the book of Jonah, like the rest of the Old Testament, was read to the people of Israel. So as we would begin, if we were back in that day and the book of Jonah was being read to us, we would receive this as it's for us. This is for us. What's going through Jonah and his experience, this was for God's people. We see that God intended to say something then to His people through Jonah's life about their relationship with the Gentiles. How they were to be towards the Gentiles. What they were to tell and how they were to be and to warn them. Again, being lanterns who give the light of God to those who need it. In verse 2, the message of God that He gave him, He said, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Now God has given Jonah a difficult mission, hasn't He? Who would volunteer to go up to one of the greatest cities of the ancient world and say, you have sinned before our God who you despise and you're going to be judged for it. To go up to this great city and speak against it, not too many volunteers. This was a simple command and it was urgent. Arise, get up and go and tell. God speaks and He expects His servants to obey. He doesn't tell him that you won't be killed. He doesn't say that I'm going to keep you safe all the way to the end. God is sovereign and when He speaks, He expects His servants to obey His words. Isn't that what we've come to expect in reading the Old Testament up to the time of Jonah That's what Elisha did. That's what Elijah did. Hosea at that time. 
God's prophets received His Word. His servants received God's Word and then they simply told the people what God had to say. That's what we expect them to do. God wanted Jonah to go and speak against Nineveh because their evil has come up before him. Nineveh was a wicked city. Wicked city. Jonah's message was one of judgment for their sin. And when God judges, His judgment is final. There's no other appeal. There's no other higher power that you can go to to appeal His judgment. It's like what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah. God judged those cities and they're no more. When God pronounces judgment, there is no appeal. But why Nineveh? Doesn't God hate all sin? What's so specific about Nineveh? Why is God calling out just one city? Sometimes when we read in the Old Testament, God sends a localized judgment on one area to not only judge that people, but to be a warning for everyone else. The Assyrians were well known for their brutality and their cruelty, even to their own children. They practiced children's sacrifice, child sacrifice. When they conquered a people, their victims were taken through such horrendous torture and pain and suffering. God was looking at all this sin and wickedness and He was burning with wrath towards it. What this text says is that God notices and He takes sin seriously. There are some who ignore God and they think that He's ignoring them. But God sees all. God knows all. He's watching. God is a God who never sleeps or slumbers. And this is really, really good if God is for you. This is a God who never sleeps or slumbers. He is always protecting you. Always doing things for your good and building and strengthening you. But it can be a horrible, terrible thing if He's against you. This is what Jonah was told to go and say to the people of Nineveh. But what does Jonah do? Verse 3 says, But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. Tarshish was in the opposite direction of Nineveh. Nineveh was in the northeast of Israel and Joppa was in the southwest. And he goes and he pays the fare, he gets on the boat and he goes to, or going to Tarshish, which they think is somewhere in Spain. He was trying to get as far away from Nineveh as he possibly could at that time. And it says, not only from Nineveh, it says to flee from the presence of the Lord. You can't flee from the presence of the Lord. Jonah knew that. David had already said in Psalm 139, verse 7, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? God knows all and He sees all and His spirit is everywhere. There's no place you can go from His presence. A prophet of God, a servant of God, would have known this. So what does it mean when we read that Jonah tried to flee from the presence of God? 
was the same thing that Cain did back in Genesis 4. Cain killed his brother and God punishes him. And it says that Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. It describes a broken relationship with God. Jonah rebelled against God. God's displeased with him and the relationship is broken. The brokenness, though, is caused by more than just disobedience. That's what we need to see here this morning. It's caused by more than just obedience. The reason behind Jonah going the opposite way and disobeying what God has said, while it's not given in this verse, is explicitly told to us later in the book, in chapter 4, verse 2. It says, that's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. As powerful as the Assyrians were at that time, Jonah wasn't afraid of the Assyrians. He wasn't afraid of those in Nineveh. He was afraid that the Ninevites might repent and be spared the disaster that he thinks they deserve. Their repentance would have made Israel's continued stubbornness and sin appear even more terrible and worthy of God's punishment and inevitable ruin. Remember, God had already split Israel into two. He had already cast a judgment on them. The golden age of David and Solomon was over. God's people were idolatrous and experiencing judgment. Jonah's reluctance to go to Nineveh was because it would mean destruction for Israel. It looked like God was moving on from His own people and saving other people. What Jonah needs to learn and what we need to see in the book of Jonah is that God has a right to do with Nineveh whatever God pleases. If He wants to have pity... He can have pity on whomever He chooses. But Jonah is setting himself up as judge here. His heart is full of vengeance. He wants Assyria to pay for what it's done to Israel. And he wants Israel restored. And he's, he's thinking inwardly at that time. And God is using this story to show that God will have compassion even on Gentiles. But he's not through with Israel. God's compassion and extends not only to the weak and to the helpless. It goes even further to his enemies and to the mighty and to the powerful of the world. God is a merciful God. He's merciful to those who are hostile and even evil toward him. This shows why God's forgiveness is so amazing. He's merciful to those who hate Him. This is a forgiving God. He doesn't rack up and say, this is everything you've done, and so now I will forgive you. Or, hey, you're not quite there yet. You've got to do a few more things for me. He says, no, even my enemies, if I decide to show compassion and mercy, I will do it. And I will forgive them. 
Jonah has heard God, but he does not listen to God. He was a man on the run from God. He put himself ahead of everyone and everything else. Jonah has no trust in who God is. There is nothing. Jonah has no compassion towards his enemies. There's nothing for his own people. He's willing to go down to Joppa and and flee to get away. He was selfish. With his own concern, there was no concern for obeying God and no concern for what happens to other people. See, the reality of reading the book of Jonah is that we see Christians today still battle the same fight. When we disobey the Word of God, it reveals what's in the root of our hearts. Jonah came to experience what he knew to be true about God. God is merciful and He is evangelistic. He is out to save people. He pursues people with love to bring them to repentance and faith. And when we see that, it compels us to lay aside our reluctance and our disobedience and do our part to fulfill the Great Commission, to share the good news of Jesus, even with those we abhor, even those that we consider an enemy and we don't want to be around. See, the reality is so many Christians are living today dissatisfied because they're not following what God says. They're following Jonah's attitude toward God. They've said no to living out what God says. They've accepted the truth and they believe it, yet it stops with them. They've become disobedient and living in God's ways and doing what He calls His servants to do. They've become selfish. They've turned inward and they have no intention of turning outward for the sake of God's great name and for the good of others. Their lack of obedience leaves them dissatisfied because the fullness of joy comes in obeying what God says. There are no professional Christians who serve full time. There are no tiers of Christianity where some give a little and others give a lot. Christ tells every single disciple to die to ourselves, to pick up our cross and to follow Him. Where He goes, we go. Where He tells us to go, we go there. We do what He wants. We say what He tells us to say. We die to ourselves, meaning we think less of ourselves. We think of ourselves not in a lesser way, like we're way down here. No, we've become children of the King. We just think of ourselves in less ways. More of our thoughts turn toward God and toward others. Life stops being about us and it becomes about telling the world about Christ. Our thoughts and our attitudes and our purpose for living become more and more about serving Christ and serving other people. In the faith, there are obedient servants who live out what God says and there are disobedient servants who try to flee from God and who disobey Him. They ignore His words. But praise God, 
He's a merciful God. Praise Him that He's compassionate and He's full of grace. The book of Jonah shows us that God does not leave His disobedient servants, His selfish servants alone. He pursues them. He loves them. He takes them through these difficulties for their good so that they will repent and learn to trust in Him and then follow and do what He says and be obedient. God's pursuit of you and me is real and it's seen in Christ Jesus coming to us. But God doesn't leave it there. He's told us in His Word that through obedience we're transformed and we're shaped into Christ's likeness. He works in us as we live out our faith in Christ Jesus. This Word of God is preparing us to live for eternity with Jesus. And as we are obedient and we live out what He says, this transformation takes place and we see that eternity matters more and the fast lane doesn't matter as much as it did one day. Eternity is what's the most important. You and I need to learn from the book of Jonah and learn to obey. First, through faith in Jesus Christ to repent and to believe in Jesus Christ, to receive the Word, and then in God's command to go and tell and make disciples. God wants people to know that God sees them. He sees their sin. And we are to warn them and then share the good news of Jesus Christ so that they can repent and be forgiven through Jesus Christ. This is the book of Jonah. Let's pray.